Hey, we're here to collect some money from you. That means we need your help. We're not playing. Put that basket out there. Get that money. Give that money, baby. Give that money. Come on, girls. You do what I do. Hey, get up off of that thing and dance till you feel better. Get up off of that thing. Just try to release that precious thing. Get up off of that thing. Go ahead, girl. Welcome to the Blessed Life Lesson 3. Yeah, that's how most people feel when you uh, talk about money. It gets funny. It gets pretty weird when people are talking about money in a church setting. Historically, that's never a good thing, uh, just from some of the negative publicity that churches do have with finances. But I do feel uh, finances are such a big part of our life, our everyday life, that I think sometimes it is a disservice when we are not talking about finances and how really... They leak out into every area of our life. It's not just uh, living and paying the bills, but disciplines with money oftentimes will leak into other areas of your life. And so I want us to stand. I only have one scripture to read, and then we'll kind of go into it. Obviously, today will be a little bit different um, because it's more teaching. It's more application. But the scripture says that the word of God will not return void. So I am trusting that as we go through some of these scriptures, that there are things that each of us in this room are going to pull from and grab and we'll be able to use those. And I think God's going to help us to not just navigate our own finances and other areas in our lives, but that it will actually leak into the kingdom and the kingdom will have a win over this series. So I'm just going to pull from Luke chapter 16, verse 11. And it says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Lord, I'm grateful for what we have felt in this room. There is a divine connection that has happened already through prayer, through the worship. Uh, but God, right now, I, I don't want to just get lost in what I felt and, and just feeling from you and after you. But God, I really need some things to help navigate the season that I find myself in, that this church finds uh, ourselves in. And so, Lord, help us to be able to apply what we're hearing. But if we don't have an ear to hear, then, then where does this word really fall? And so, God, help us to have an ear to hear what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. I will quickly catch you up on the last two weeks of the Blessed Life series. Obviously, there's a lot of information. So if you are new to First Church, first off, thank you for being here today. And we're so grateful that you are here in person as well as online. If you don't know me, my name is Mike Netto. I do have the privilege of serving First Church as the executive pastor. And so I want to thank you for being here. And again, we typically, as a church, we do not touch on finances very often, a uh, very personal subject. And I know, like I said, money gets funny, uh, but there's a lot of principles here. So in our rhythm of our church, we, we do start the beginning of every year with the series, and that sets the tone uh, for the year. But our first lesson Pastor John spoke on was the principle of first fruits. And you can find that in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Obviously, when you're looking at tithing a tenth percent of your income, Scripture is very clear that it is your first fruits. That means it's the first thing you should do is pay your tithes. That is the first thing you should do of your increase, whatever you are making, whatever you bring into the home. Um, and so there are a, a lot of parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus being our first fruits, uh, paying for our sin on the cross. He was the first Adam without sin, first man without sin. So there's a lot there. You, would, you will want to go on our YouTube channel and you will want to hear that message from Pastor John from two weeks ago. That'll give you more clarity. But the first week, we defined what a tithing is and paying it as first fruits, the first thing that you're doing. Then last week's lesson by Pastor Kento, great lesson on multiplication, the blessing of multiplication. And that was found in Matthew 14, where we read about Jesus. He is teaching the people. He went long. They were hungry, so they were able to find a boy that had a lunch. And it was there that Jesus prayed. He blessed the food, but the miracle didn't happen when he just prayed the blessing. The miracle actually happened when the disciples were able to take the food and they were to break it. And as soon as they began to actually part ways with it and give it away, it continually kept growing and kept manifesting itself. So the principle is, hey, great job, chief, if you pray. But if you're not doing anything about your prayer life and you're not engaging, then all you're doing is you're praying. And that'll only go so far. God wants us to engage in this lifestyle. It's not just about praying. Faith without works is dead. 
It takes something from us to, to be involved. So I'm glad you're praying, but if we're not doing something, like you can pray all day about not like, Lord, protect me from never getting hit by a car. But if you pray that and you walk in the middle of the street without looking both ways, you're going to get hit by a car. So it takes a little bit of wisdom for us to use our noggins, right? Use our heads to apply scripture and principle together. But you're going to want to make sure that we're praying, but we're also applying wisdom in what we're doing. I, I remember, as you can see, I am built uh, for comfort, not speed. And I remember talking to a very good friend of mine, and he's like Mr. Healthy Guy, like super, cu- like probably my man right there in the green shirt, like that, right? Like, you look good, bro, right? I'm trying to get there. I'm, one day, I'm, I'm going to get there, in Jesus' name, right? So... Here I am talking to him about, like, man, you know, all the, we had some friends that were going through some health issues, and he's like, man, it's a tough, it's a tough call when you talk to God and you're praying over your health, and you, all you've had is Krispy Kreme donuts. God's like, well, I, I gave you good food to eat. You jack up your whole, your whole menu, your, all the ingredients you're, you're forcing down your throat, and you want me to come bail you out? How about you just stop eating donuts and, like, get a vegetable in once in a while? Like, so we could pray all day for health, but if we're not doing something about it, like, I, how much is he, I, I feel bad for God. If he, like, listen, uh, I get ticked at some of the requests I hear. I can imagine what God feels like when he has to hear some of our prayers. Some of my prayers are like, look, buddy, I gave you a good plan. You just don't follow it. Quit asking me to bail you out every time. That's free. So we'll get to today. <laughs> We're going to get to today, uh, which we are today is, is really looking at stewarding what God has given us. We want to steward what God has given us. And so stewarding, that means living within our means. It means living a debt-free life, and it's living for somebody else, not just about living for ourselves, not about feeding our flesh, feeding our egos. It's not just about what we can rack up in wealth right now. There really is something when you live. You really don't live for, for, uh, for yourself until you live for somebody else. If you can apply that, you will have a fulfilled life because I can tell you within two seconds, your whole life can change. You do not control everything. There is too much out there that has control over you. You do not control everything. And so I'd like to take us to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. It says, the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. The American dream is expensive. It's a dream. My dad, I remember growing up, my dad would constantly tell me and my brother that, you know, as, as he migrated from Portugal to the States, we landed in Massachusetts. And my dad just taught us the value of hard work, having great work ethic and being able to purchase a home, get married, have a couple of kids, be a hard worker, pay your bills on time. All great principles that my father taught me and my brother. Uh, but I would have never thought that today to buy a house of maybe 2,000 2, square feet would cost you $400,000. Who would, have, who would have thought that was coming at us? It's an expensive dream to live out the American dream. Uh, but the expectation for what success is, is superficial. Very subjective. If we went around and we took a poll today on uh, what the American dream or what success looks like to you, I think everybody in this room would have a different picture of what success really looks like. For some, it's a family. For some, it's maybe a, a bigger savings account. For some, it's maybe traveling the world. For some, it could be um, being able to not go to work every day and be self-sustained at home. There are so many different pictures of what success really looks like that it is Subjective. The more wants you have, the less needs you see. The more that we have, the harder it is for us to truly see what a need is because we've built our lives with this comfort of what success in, a, in this blessed life, in abundant life looks like that sometimes we fail to see what a true need is because to us, like, listen, I love, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm all for the blessed life and saving and living a modest life, but I'm all for having some really nice stuff. There's a balance to life. My life was changed when I had, when I now step into a vehicle and I have a heated leather steering wheel. Like, you're never going to take that from me again. I would rather have roll-up windows and a heated steering, like a, a steering wheel, than to have not that option to power windows. Like, I, there's nothing, anybody in the house, you've been so cold, you get in your car and you put your hands on a steering wheel. It changes your life. So I'm all for bells and whistles for a life of luxury. Like, I'm all for that. But my problem is I drive into too many apartment complexes and I see a $70,000 vehicle under a carport and you're paying $700 rent and you're too embarrassed to have friends over your house because you live in a tiny apartment, but your car is super sweet. I think our priorities over time have been confused to where now, because when we leave our home, what we want is the picture 
of what success looks like. The picture of what so our priorities are a little off on how we handle finances. So let's see how Jesus handled finances. I'll take you to Numbers chapter 33 and verse 54. And you shall divide the land by lot of an inheritance among your families. And to the more you shall give, the more inheritance. And to the fewer, you shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. This is why socialism doesn't work. Life is not fair. It is not an equal playing field for everybody. There are things that you have gone in your life that I have not gone through. I have gone through things in my life that you have not gone through. Some of you are just smarter than I am. You make more money than me. And I'm not hating on you. For some of you, I might make more money than you. Don't hate on me. Everybody's at a different stage of life. It doesn't make you any better than me, and it doesn't make me any better than you. We are all striving for what? Heaven. We are trying to make it to the same place, so it doesn't matter what's in your savings account or what's in mine. It doesn't matter what success might look like to you and what it looks like to me. The idea is, okay, Lord, to, to who has much, then much inheritance is given and fewer is less. Andrew Hill, who sits in the back, has 10 kids. He should have a house with 10 bedrooms. I have two dudes in my house. I don't need 10 bedrooms, so I don't look for a 10-bedroom house. I look for a three-bedroom house. Whatever the need is, he shall supply. But we often think, well, I need the heated leather seat. Look, I don't need it. I'm going to work hard to get that. But we don't need what we think we need. But we have be, we've been duped by what social media looks like to where, like, listen, I would love for us to do this one day. Right now, if everybody, which you're probably going to do this as soon as you leave here anyways, or you're probably low-key doing it right now while I'm speaking, on Instagram, like scrolling real quick, paying attention to me, right? For some of you that are really, really saved, you're going to wait till as soon as we leave. Then you're going to get online and look. We're looking, and what do we do? Man, you're looking at the right angle. Like, that is the cleanest corner in the house. That is the cleanest part of it. Like, listen, you just washed your car and you took a picture of it. Typically, you wash your car once every three months. So you only waited to post that picture one time. I've got a buddy. I would never say his name. He's got a really nice car. He does. But I promise you, this is real life. This dude be posting pictures online, like on his, on his social media platform, and it's always the emblem of his car on his steering wheel with like the gas being low. And he's like, highly favored, got to get to a gas station. Like, bro, you actually put the logo of your car because you want us to know what you're driving. If you really want to talk about gas, you just take a picture of the gas. Like, why did you like, bro, that shot is perfect. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is like, I know what you're driving. Like, we're not stupid here. Like, there's a, like, you just, I'm just highly favored and blessed. But bro, that payment's high. But that is the lifestyle, like that is what that we are wanting to put out there. I love for one day, everybody, none of you have ever seen this movie, I've heard about it, the Yes Day movie, right, where the kids dictate and the parents have to do everything and say yes to the kids, right? I would love to see like bad day on Instagram or, or Facebook. I want you to post the worst part of your house, the bathroom or your bedroom or the kitchen sink. Like, let's be like, highly favored, and then it's a picture of your dirty dishes from three days ago because you've been so busy, right? Highly favored, you're about to smack your child because he just talked to you, and you're like, oh my gosh, look how pretty she is. Look how, blessed. oh, so blessed. Look at my beautiful kids. You just were about to smack them three minutes ago, but then they finally straightened up, you took a quick picture and posted it, right? Let's post pictures of you like mid-air. No, nobody does that. No CPS calls. It's okay, folks. But I'm just saying, right? Like, how about we post one day the worst part of your day? Of course we're not. We're posting what we want people to see. And so that's why success is so subjective, and we will try to model after that. I had a friend who lived, oh, he played in the, uh, in the NFL, and he told me that every athlete is competitive. So on a, on a team, on a football team, you have the highest paid quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Every position has the best of the best, and then you have other role players on the team to help facilitate and give your, give your starters a rest. Well, if, if the, if the um, quarterback is making $9 million a year and your backup, backup, backup quarterback, that dude's making like a million a year. Still, everyone's like, I would like to make a million. Well, the truth is, take out taxes, you're about five, 600000 Then you got to take your agent fee. That's another $50,000 or more. Then you got to take care of the people that take care of you, which is all of the health regimen that they go through, super expensive. If you're late to work, you get fined. All these fines, they're probably really making cash in hand, $300,000, 400000 a year. Still not a bad deal. But they're making a decent amount of money. 
The problem is the guy that brings home three to 400,000 a year is trying to compete with the guy that's making 8 million a year. That's why you see half these athletes are broke when they get out because they are all in competition and we do that ourselves. We are in constant competition with everybody else. And oftentimes, we try to live above our means just because, again, it's the competition of what we are trying to do. So you can look at Exodus chapter 16 when the Israelites were going or they're wandering through the desert. And here, manna would fall every day. And what does scripture tell us? If they, if they had too much manna, if they gathered too much manna in the home, it would spoil. If there wasn't enough manna, they would be hungry. So you were to take what you needed and not let it spoil. Debt will spoil you. Debt will hurt you. Debt will come back to get you. It always smells good when you first buy it. Buy a brand new pair of shoes and you smell the inside. Don't they smell great? Two wears and you're like, ooh, need new socks. I need to put some shoe trees in there. Cedar, get that smell out of there. But debt will spoil you. Debt will own you. If you don't tell your money where to go, your money will tell you where to go. It will discipline you for you if you're not telling it where to go. But debt is an expensive substitution for blessing, right? What do we think, man, if I can get the right vehicle, if it's the right house, if it's in the right area of town, and we'll go through all of these. Why do we do that? For Christians, I think this is a false narrative. For Christians, we want to look like we are living this blessed life and that we are the epitome of Christianity. We want to be somebody's conversation piece at their dinner table of what favor looks like. We want to look like, like, hey, if I roll up to church in this vehicle, or if I have these clothes on, or if this is where I shop, or this is where I live, then people can aspire to be like, because I am favored. The problem is you have leveraged your blessing for debt. If people really knew what you were paying, and, and if you were living week to week, then what favor is that of God if now you have leveraged the blessing to now? It's just debt. You have a lot of debt, but you look good in your debt. But we want to so bad be the conversation of like, man, you know what? Look at Dominic. He's got that sweet gray jacket on. He's on the Romer, folks. He does a great job. Good job, buddy. But man, that's right. That's my boy. But man, so you see, Dominic rolls in with his nice gray suit jacket. He's got his American Eagle jeans, his sweet Kohan shoes. Like, dude looks good. And we're like, man, I want to be like him when I grow up. He's got hair, legit hair. Must be nice. I'm like, shoot, that dream sailed a long time ago for this guy. If you get your dad's hair, buddy, my bad. Sorry, nothing you can do. But he can be like the picture of what, like, man, he's got it together. And I'm not saying this is true because he's the cleanest, greatest guy ever. But, man, maybe Dominic has a really messy room. I don't know. Maybe Dominic's a teenage boy and, like, has his own struggles. But what we'll put out there, he'll put on his snap. You know, his longest streak is probably, like, 33 years streaking on, on his snaps. But I'm just saying, like, he's looking good on every snap, right? But the reality is... That dude's like, my hair doesn't look good today, dad. Like, oh, he's just a mess. Couldn't get the right jacket. The shirt didn't fit right. Changed three times. But you know what? What we're putting out there looks like it's success. Like, everything is fine. But the truth is, we just want to be somebody's conversation piece of like, oh, they got it together. Right? We want to act apart. We want to talk apart. We want to look apart. But we've fallen apart. <laughs> truth. But that's what we're trying to put out there. So when you go to Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What is the counsel of the ungodly? It's do you. I'm going to get mine. Like, I'm getting what I got to get. Like, I'm, I'm going to take care of me. Is that not the counsel of the ungodly? Like, hey, listen, if you don't take care of you, ain't nobody taking care of you. Make sure you got yourself straightened out. Make sure your stuff's okay because nobody else's. People will step on you up that corporate ladder faster than anybody's business because everybody's trying to climb somewhere. And so if you don't take care of yourself, who's going to take care of you? But the blessed man, he finds his delight in the law. of. There are laws to finances. There are laws to discipline in our life. So if we never get out of debt, how can we ever become true givers? If we never get out of debt... How can you ever empower somebody else? We become prisoners of our own decisions. There, this, this reaches further than, than even finances. It's in your relationships. If we can't, listen, money ought to be the easiest thing for us to handle. Why? It's black and white. Any accountants in the room? Do I have any accountants in the room? No? Perfect. We need some. Go to school. But 
It's black and white. Money is, there's no gray. It's dollars and cents. It's what it is. But every other area in our life, it's gray. You look at relationships. It's not easy. You're dealing with somebody else's emotions. You're dealing with somebody else. They, you can't control that's theirs. All you can do is control your actions, your words. But financially, like, listen, I can sit down with you. I can look at your budget. I can tell you, man, you're buying too much bubble gum. Hey, man, you don't need a $1,000 payment on your vehicle. Hey, man, this is probably a bad idea to go buy this house because you don't need it right now. Get a starter home first. Like, we can look at that stuff, and it's clear. You start getting into marriages. You start getting into relationships. All of a sudden, everything's out the window. It's all gray. You've got principles, but he said, she said, my emotion said this. I didn't mean to say that. So if we can't control our finances, how can we govern our relationships? How do we govern all the other areas of our lives? So God is trying to teach us. If you'll stay disciplined financially, I'll help you build discipline in your relationships. I'll help you build discipline in every area of your life. My favorite car. This is my goal. Listen, if you're super wealthy and you want to bless me, in Jesus' name, you do that today. I will take it. But my favorite vehicle is a Porsche 911. One day in the name of Jesus, I will own one. I am speaking that into the atmosphere. I love a Porsche 911. To be honest, I could go buy one. I really could. But the only thing we're going to have to do in my house, if I go buy a Porsche tomorrow, I could. The only thing we change in my house is now we will only have cereal and ramen noodles for the rest of our lives. Kids, you ain't gaming anymore because we're going to have the slowest data or no data. We all go to flip phones. No more shopping like we want to. Like, listen, make that stretch for three years. Right? No more. Listen, when, and, and I am a stickler. I love my daddy's in the room. I love my dad. My dad is a lot like Steve. I'm about to expose y'all. Who here fights the temperature in this auditorium all the time? It's too cold. It's too hot. Listen, my brother's a great guy, but he controls that. We grew up like, listen, put a sweater on. Put a jacket on. Put another sweater on. Yeah, yeah, no. I grew up, listen, that, I love you, Dad. I was traumatized. You know what I do now? I don't care what it is. It's 69 degrees in my house all the time. I don't care if my bill is 300 a month. Like, I'm keeping it at 69 all the time. That's what my house is set at. So there are things like I'm not going to negotiate on anymore. Guess what we're going to do? We're all living on jackets. Like, that, it's going to be, I'm going to keep that at, like, 59. Like, we're going to have jackets and sweaters all the time. In the summertime, walk around with a fan. We don't need AC. But I'm going to get in my Porsche, and I'm going to turn on my AC. But in the house, we're walking with fans. So you can afford what you want to, but is it, that would be the worst financial decision for me to ever make is to go buy a Porsche tomorrow. So there are laws to governing our finances, but I would do that in relationships. If I don't have boundaries around relationships, if I'm not watching my tone with you, if we're not watching how we communicate, there's a problem. Newsflash, if you're always the centerpiece of a drama or a fight, do you think it's everybody else or maybe you? Is it the whole world that's against you and they don't understand me? Or is it maybe you don't understand the room you're in? But what do we think? Listen, if I'm undisciplined with my money, I'm undisciplined with my mouth. If I'm undisciplined with my mouth, then all of my relationships suffer. So if we can put boundaries and we can learn these disciplines of living within our means, live within the relationships that you have and invest in them. But if all we do, it's like a bank account. If all I am doing is drawing from you, right? So me and Sister Esther, we're buddies. We had pizza a few nights ago. Like, we're cool. So if all I ever do is go to Sister Esther and we're hanging out, and I'm constantly eating her pizza. Every week I go to Esther's house and we have pizza. And she'd be like, man, this cat comes over. He don't ever bring nothing. He just takes my pizza. I never bring Esther anything to her house. I'm just eating her pizza the whole time. One day, Esther's going to be like, you know what? You can't come over. You drain me. Like, I am tired of you taking all the food out of my fridge. But if I'm coming in and I'm bringing her pizza, and I'm bringing her Pepsi, and I'm bringing a dessert over, now I'm investing in the relationship we have, and instead, what we do is we keep drawing and drawing. It's like a bank account. You're going to be bankrupt real soon. Your relationships can't sustain when all you do is withdraw from them. But if we have a two-way street and I'm depositing something into your account, into our relationship, then anytime I take from it and I make a mistake, there's something in the account and you're not bankrupt and you can sustain an argument. You can sustain a fight in your relationship. But if all you do is argue with everybody around, you're probably just drawing from everybody and you're not contributing anything. Ooh, I know. That's tough. <laughs> that ain't me. Uh, I'd be careful. No, I'm just playing. I literally have nobody in mind. I'm just saying. If we're not disciplined with our finances, it leaks and spills into every area of our life. 
So go to Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhorting, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. They'll put up a graphic behind me. I want you guys to see these seven different gifts, prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and mercy. Everyone in this room wants every one of these gifts except giving. Because every one of these, when you, op- when you are operating in prophecy, it costs you consecration for sure. Every one of these gifts will cost you something. But giving hurts the most. It comes out of your wallet. There is a gift of giving. How could we ever operate in that gift if all we are bound is by our debt? If you can't help anybody. I've said, I've said this before. I'm, I'm in a group chat with some friends from back east, actually all over the country. And anytime somebody has an issue, and that's valid, that they, they vouch for. We're in a group chat. We get a chat and say, hey, man, I got somebody in need. I need $800. Man, I'm throwing in 50 This dude throws in 20 We'll have $800 in seconds between all of us. As a matter of fact, I did that several, several months ago. I, was, uh, I felt the church had been helping somebody, and I felt like the responsible thing with where we were financially, we've exhausted what the church could healthily do for somebody else. But I felt a check in my spirit, like we need to go beyond. So I texted a few people here. I said, hey, guys, I got a need. Not going to mention their name. Um, I, I need to raise X amount of dollars. Within seconds, I had the money. That is a gift of giving. That person was able to, they were taken care of because somebody bought into a gift of giving and took care of it. Listen, newsflash, the church wasn't designed to take care of everybody's problems. The church, you, were designed to take care of everybody's problems. And sometimes it's easy. You know, when you play with somebody else's money, it's always easy, right? Sometimes I feel like, <laughs> I know Greg's going to love this. The trustees will love this. Like, sometimes it's easy to just go to the church and be like, hey, man, I need some help. Okay, it's not our money, right? Well, hey, we'll just give them some money. It's a little different when it's out your wallet. You own it. And listen, if you do your budget, which hopefully everybody's doing their budget, if not, get in the life group that does budgeting because you need help. But you ought to have built into your budget room for giving to help somebody else. I don't care if it's $20 a month, if it's $100 a month, whatever it is, you ought to have something in there and say, you know what? This isn't always the church's responsibility. I feel like I need to help them. I'm going to come to their aid and I'm going to help them. Just because we go to the same church or I'm on staff or any of our team, I can't tell you how many times Pastor Hoffman, our pastoral team, our leadership team, like how many times we've taken care of needs that had nothing to do with church money. Now, this church, you guys do a great job of caring for people, taking care of, and we do an excellent job with our own church family, locally, globally. We do a lot. But so much goes on that comes out of personal pockets. Because why? It is a gift that God has given us. If you steward your money, you're able to partner with somebody else and be in the seat with them. It's not just the church's responsibility. But if all I do is rack up my debt and create a lifestyle I cannot afford, then how will I ever operate in the gift of giving? What discipline would I have? In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, it says, is, it's, it's actually the complementary verse to verse 8 when you look at um, the 8th verse, which is, or he that exhorteth he that ex- exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it simplicity. Then if you look at just a couple of verses south of that in verse 13, this is kind of the complementary verse to the one I just read you. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. If you're in a life group, if you've ever been to Brent and Debbie's life group, she has a gift of hospitality. You can come into her house, eat her lovely cupcakes, and then you're ready for a word of God. Your belly's full. It smells nice. The house is clean. Now you're ready to hear the word. Why? Because Debbie Campbell has a gift of hospitality. There is a gift of hospitality. Listen, if you can't lead a life group, but you can host a life group, join the team. Because there are some leaders that don't have a place to host, but if you'll partner up, just like Joey and and the Lictals, Joey Marshall, who's probably somewhere in this room, he does a cooking life group. He didn't, he's a teenager. He doesn't have a house. But Bob and Brenda Lichtel decided, hey, you can use my house and create an environment for him to teach a life group. Now we got a teenager teaching a life group in somebody else's house because they were hosts. That is the gift of giving. It's just not financially. It's giving to the kingdom. That's why growth track is so important. It takes everybody in this room to be able to reach this community. It takes everybody in this room and the gifting God has given you to reach this city. It is just not on a specific team leader, on a pastoral team. It is everybody in this room for us to be able to reach somebody. So we have, if we can discipline the gift of giving financially, you can, you can discipline the gift of your time to give back to your community, back to the church. 
But in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, in the message, it said, if you're called to give to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. 30% of all of the parables in Scripture all deal with money. And until we get out of debt and figure that out, you will never operate in the gift of giving. If you read Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, there's a parable of stewards, three guys. I'll give you the NIV version, the Neto International version. It's Portuguese. Uh, but really what happened is this, the boss took three of his employees and said, hey, listen, I'm going out of town. Um, here's 500 to you. Here's 200 to you. Here's 100 to you. I need you guys to invest that so that way when I come back, I'd like to see some profit. Okay, cool. Boss leaves. Boss comes back. All of a sudden now, the guy that had 500 bucks, he made 1,000, 500 more. So he's got 1,000. The guy with $200, he made 200. So he's got 400. The dude with the $100 said, man, I don't want to mess it up. Cryptocurrency is like trash right now. So I wasn't trying to put any Bitcoin, Ethereum. Like, I'm not doing none of that. I don't know how to read stocks anyways. Nothing I could do with the 100 bucks because you gave him 500. I only had 100. Couldn't do anything with it. So I did nothing with it. Scripture says that that guy was cast out. From, he got fired from work is what happened. So big picture, that's the kingdom. He was lost for all of eternity because he didn't do anything with what God gave him. That's how serious it is with how we govern our finances. If God trusts you with something and you don't handle it with, with care and you're not producing in the kingdom, you will not make it. Just because you've been baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Ghost, and listen, we've cleaned up. If we're not stewarding what God gives us, it doesn't guarantee that we're all the way in. This still is a journey that we have to guide ourselves through and make ourselves get into heaven by these principles that we're learning from. But it matters how much, it doesn't matter how much we have. The guy that only had 100 bucks could have turned around and made 100, 50 dollars, something. But you know what? I didn't have. That's why it goes back to socialism doesn't work. But I didn't have enough. Since when is life fair? Since when were we all given the same lot? We weren't. So I can't base what I'm doing off of anybody else in this room. I'm responsible for what God trusts me with. And if God can't trust me, why would he give me anything? Some of us have been praying for a spouse forever, and God ain't trust us with a spouse. Why? Man, is there an area in your life that you're not disciplined in? Is there an area in your life that maybe you haven't conquered yet? We keep asking for more money. And God's like, well, you keep, I, I remember it was like the first time me and Bridget like had a big, like to us, it was a huge check. Somebody, we, we partnered with something, did, did something, and I got my first $10,000 check. I'll never forget it. Blew it. <laughs> Blew it. Zero idea where that money went. None. Like, we chipped away. I'm sure we ate well. We shopped well. Listen, I'll tell you the truth. I am a shopper. I love to shop. If you can, amen. Listen, if, if you catch me, if you know I'm depressed, find me in the mall. If you know I'm angry, find me in the mall. If basically any emotion, when I want to celebrate, find me in the mall. Like, basically any emotion, you can find me in the mall. <laughs> that, that's how I live my life. Like, listen, we celebrate, we go out to eat, we buy clothes. Man, I'm ticked off today. You know what? I deserve this. I'm giving me another pair of shoes. Like, I'm ticked, I'm going to buy some shoes. Like, that's just how, that's who I am. I've had to, listen, the hardest thing for let's imagine was giving up most of my shoe budget. That was, yeah, listen, y'all don't know the struggle. Like, man, I'm looking at that let's imagine money going up. I'm looking at my, my like, I'm not buying as many shoes as I used to. But you know what? It's like, listen, if I don't discipline what I'm doing, it leaks into other areas of my life. And so here we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. If you're stingy, you're not going to receive much. But if you are generous, you're going to receive generosity. Your attitude will determine your altitude. If you are a cheerful giver, then that's this abundant life we hear about. God is going to bless you if you are cheerful about it. But if we're stingy, and you're stingy with your relationships. You're stingy at home with your kids. You're stingy at home even with how you negotiate your conversations. You're stingy in showing affection to others. Stingy in, in celebrating other people. Stingy in how you interact with your family. If you're stingy, then what you receive will not be an abundant life. It will also come back to you the same way. But if we're generous with our words, if we're generous in loving each other, if we're generous in caring for each other, when you are in need, and I promise you, eventually you will be in a need. You're going to have the support of a whole church of your family rallying around you because you were generous. 
So it, your attitude will ultimately affect your altitude, how high you can go. But if we're stingy, then all of a sudden we're maintaining. All of a sudden now, you're not seeing very far because it's all horizontal. All you can see is what's due next Friday. Man, I got to pay this bill. I got to do everything's just in front of you. But when we are givers, everything's above you. You can see further down the road. You can see what next week, you can see what next year looks like. You have a plan for it. And so I want to be a cheerful giver because I want to have a great attitude so my altitude is higher. I can see further down the road. I've planned. Listen, your car will break down. The furnace is going to go out. There are going to be things that are popping in your life that you didn't plan for that you didn't plan for. But if you have a plan for it and you can see further down the road, then you can take care of those things. It's the same thing. I keep going back. This is why we, the Blessed Life series isn't just financial. It affects so much. It's like, listen, I can, I can negotiate a relationship when I can tell there's a problem brewing. I can feel it. Like, man, there's something off. So what do I, I'm going to attack that. I'm going to go after that, and I'm going to try to get ahead of it before it becomes a problem. But if all I do is live with what's in front of me, I'll never see that the problem is brewing. And then when it blows up, I'm like, oh, victim mentality. Here I go again. I don't understand why everybody's against me. Look, bro, you didn't navigate and you didn't negotiate the relationship because all you're doing is trying to maintain everything because you have no discipline in your life. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses 10, 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest for, of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He supplies seed to the sower. That is an agricultural term. Here we have an apple. And uh, fun story, probably a few years ago, my dude right here, He's an entrepreneur. He's probably going to pay off, let's imagine, one day. But I remember I, I was coming home from work. This is a, a different house we lived in. We had two apple trees. And I, I came home, and there were cop cars. I could see our dog wandering. Like, so I'm getting close. I'm like, oh, that ain't cool. Like, dog, like, dog do something. And it's a Roddy. So he was a big boy. Like, ah, he's intimidating. So I get closer. It's Bridget, a couple of police officers, him, dog. You got the officer on the outside, like, totally petrified of Caesar. One officer, I think it was in, in the vehicle, and then the other one was actually talking. What I found out is that my son decided to take all of these free apples in our yard, put them in Walmart, bag, in Walmart bags, and he went to the neighborhood, and he's selling bags of apples for five bucks to the neighbors. <laughs> right. So the neighbors obviously are a little nervous, and they're like, Maybe a kid shouldn't be selling apples, you know, walking the street with bags of apples. So, so that's why the police, and they're like, listen, it's not safe. Okay, we're not terrible parents. I get it. He did it on his own. But an apple, uh, in, in, in apple tree, well, an apple will produce anywhere from 80 to 150 apples per tree. So when you look at the concept of seed to a sower, I'm going to show you what the inside of this thing looks like. And so an average apple... Which, here, let me have the aroma so you can, so I, maybe they'll put it up there so you can see. So how many, let me just focus right there. So you're probably looking at, uh, there's at least five, five seeds in there probably. So an apple will have anywhere from four to eight seeds per apple. Now, what you do is 30% of these seeds will germinate. That means you'll lose several of these seeds. So what will end up happening is, if I was to sow these seeds into the earth, for me to grow an apple tree, I would have to take probably two to three apples and I would have to then plant them, water them, and take care of them. So do the math. If I take three apples and I plant them in the soil and now you have a shoot coming out, I have the potential of an apple tree that's coming out, how many apples will I get after I plant, after I burn up three apples, how many apples will I get potentially? I just said it. Thank you. 80 to 150 for those who were on Instagram. Let's play. 80 to 150 apples you would get if I just used three apples. So that's why, the, that's why agriculture is so important in this lesson. It's because, okay, I take three apples. Now I have 80 to 150 apples coming, growing. So now if I take three of those apples and now I plant another tree, 
Now I got another 80 to 150 apples. The Bible talks about you'll get to a place to where you can't reap fast enough. So if all you are is stingy with the seed God gave you, you'll never reap enough. But if you will sow into the kingdom and you watch what you spend and we stay out of debt and we have good disciplines in our life, there's going to be a place where it begins a snowball effect to where all of a sudden now you're reaping more than you're sowing. It's a principle in scripture for us to say, hey, listen, I can't just take what's mine and give it like, what movie is it? Mine, 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 right? Nemo? Like, man, it can't all be about mine. It has to be about sowing and giving back. But I started looking at planting an apple tree, and I came, came across something called grafting. What will happen is if you take these seeds and I plant them, and then now I have a, 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 an apple tree growing. I take those seeds, plant them again, and the apple tree starts growing. I take those seeds. What ends up happening is now because that seed quality has diminished so much because all I keep doing is replanting the same thing, that fruit from that apple tree now will become bitter and damaged and unedible. You can't eat the apples anymore. So now I started looking at what grafting means, and that is when, the, uh, when you take the, the rootstock, which is the, the main source of the apple tree that is breaking grounds, and you, and you take the scion, which is a branch or another piece of another apple tree, and what you do is you actually will cut into the rootstock and you cut into the scion and you actually mend those together and you bind those together all of a sudden now, you have a different apple tree meshed with yours, and now it produces a healthy seed, which now you can have healthy fruit. That led my mind to James chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of, of naughtiness, and receive the meekness, the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. When you take what you have been producing and sowing and you engraft the word of God into your life, your decisions get better and now you begin to produce good fruit. So if all we wonder is like, why am I not producing good fruit? Why am I on my third marriage? Why, am I, why do I keep blowing all my money? Why is it that every time I get around my friends, there's a huge fight? There's drama everywhere I go. Why? Well, is it because we haven't taken some of these biblical principles and engrafted them into our lives every day? Because all we're doing now is we are producing fruit that's starting to rot. It smells. People get around you, they start to get drained around you. All of a sudden, now you go to work, you can't seem to win at work. The boss is always after you. You can't seem to grow where you are. I never seem to flourish. I feel like there's always a ceiling above me. Why is it? Have we applied any of those scriptural principles into our lives? Are we engrafting the word of God into our lives so we're producing better fruit? Luke 6 and 38 says, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap for the measure of, of you use, it will be measured to you. He supplies seed to the sower, not seed to the keeper. If, if you're not sowing, why would he trust you? I'll tell you the truth. In this church, I hope that God never passes by first church and says, I can't trust him with another soul. I can't trust them with another family. I can't trust them with another harvest. I can't do that because they squander everything that they have. They didn't have a system that could sustain the, through the growth. You'll hear more about this Let's Imagine campaign, especially as I get towards uh, the end of this, this message, on what we're trying to do to the north of us in this property. It would be a shame for us to know that we could have done something really great in this city, but because we couldn't manage what God has given us, he couldn't trust us with any more. It's like, why would God trust me if, if all I do is blow all my money? That's, if I went to Bridget and said, hey, listen, you know what? It, it, and I could say this because she's super frugal. Like, like I said, she doesn't, I have to beg her once a year to go shopping. Like, listen, girl, you need some new clothes. Let's just be, let's go get some new clothes. And I don't want, so it's a fight. So then we got to go get new clothes. And it's, it's like an eight-hour event. Like, it's, it's all day. But she'll get her clothes for the year, and that's it. Like, she does not like to shop much. But if I'm giving her, so I can say this and this isn't true, I give her $1,000 a week for her to go spend on whatever she wants. And she comes back, and listen, there's no groceries in the house. DTE shutoff notice is coming. Like, consumer's energy, it's about to get real cold in the house because we ain't got no gas for our furnace. Like, listen, there's no, again, no groceries. But, man, all she is doing is blowing money on, like, lottery scratch tickets. She's buying, like, you know, all kinds of new clothes. She's just, like, listen, at what point do I say, you know what, Chief? 
You don't get another dime. Like, I'll give you $2 a week, go get a coffee, and that's it. I'm going to take over the money. At what point do I have to put some control to this and say, you can't handle the money? At what point do we keep saying, God, if I just had a little bit more? And he's like, listen, $7 at Starbucks every day. That's $35 a week on your coffee. Over $120 a month at Starbucks. Bro, get Timmy's. It's $1.98. You ain't got to go to Starbucks every day. Stop acting like you're broke. You just spend your money on the wrong stuff. Why would God trust me with more money if I'm blowing my money? God, if I just had healthy relationships, I'd be better. Well, you're toxic. All your relationships sink. All you do is draw from everybody. Why would I bring you new friends? Man, I'm trying to help them get better friends. You ain't it. Like, sorry, handle the three you can keep. Can't give you no more friends. Like, man, somebody's like, God, I need some new friends. Okay, I'm going to give them to you because you'll tank that relationship too. It's just disciplining how we're treating people. The greatest resource isn't finances for the church for the kingdom. That's easy for God. The greatest resource we have are people. That's you and me. That's the greatest resource we have is each other. Say it often, better together. It's, it, we're, we're in this thing together. We are the, the greatest value of the kingdom of God is each other, not money. But if I can't navigate us through money, I can't navigate your relationship. I can't navigate my relationship. But if I take you to, to John chapter 12, first seven verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given to Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those uh, eating at at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who who later betrayed him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So the story to me used to be, the story used to be, um, the story used to be where Judas, who is taking care of the money, and here um, Judas is obviously overseeing the money, and now Mary is breaking this box of perfume over over um, Jesus' feet, and Judas is ticked. Why? Because again, he was keeper of the money. He didn't want to, he didn't want to um, take care of it. He was actually pulling money for himself. And then all of a sudden, to me, I said, oh Lord, why would you make Jesus like in charge of the money, the IRS guy? Like, why would you do that? He's skimming off the top. Why would I ever do that? I think Jesus is trying to teach us like, listen, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every one of us in this room has a gifting. If you don't know what your gifting is, you need to go through growth track. There is something inside of you that God placed in you that you can help yourself and the kingdom of God because you are gifted. There is something of value inside of you. I don't care what anybody else says. Get that through your head. Like you are worth something to God, to us here at First Church, to your family, to your friends. And so God's saying, you know what? I'm going to let you have it. All right. You have the potential of stealing from me. But go ahead and take care of the money. We are forced with the decision. It's a shame if you're in this room and God has gifted you with a specific talent and you sit in this pew week after week and you're not giving back to the kingdom. It's a shame if you are in this room and God has given you uh, this incredible gift and you either are hiding it because you're too busy or you're insecure and you haven't let us foster that out of you and with you. Because there are people's souls that hang in the balance. There are people that need you in their life. And when we hold back from the kingdom of God, people get hurt. We are responsible for what God has given us, what God has trusted us with. We're responsible to that. But what's interesting to me is when you go to Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 7, what's interesting is it's the same account until you get to verse 8. In verse 8, it said, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. In Roman custom, when somebody was crucified, they would take down their body, they would wrap their clothes, and they would pour perfume over them, and then they would bury them. Here, Jesus was taken off the cross so quickly that they wrapped him, but they never poured perfume on him. But watch what Mary did. Mary gave a year's salary. That's an extravagant gift. A year's worth of income she poured on his feet. And Jesus said she completed the work on the cross when she gave to me. How would you sit... Let's, let's play just a, quick, just a quick game in our minds. How would you feel if you were praying and you needed an answer from God? And I'm praying 
And I'm saying, all right, Lord, you know what? I, man, I am in a jam. I need this situation resolved. And as I pray, Pastor Draylon is at his home, and God says, hey, I think you, you really need to call. You need to call Pastor Mike, and you need, to, um, you need to tell him this. He needs to hear this from you. And he's like, ah, but you know what? Man, I'm gaming right now. Like, I'm about to get, Joey's killing me right now. Like, I can't be playing this game. Like, ah, I'll call him later. Do you think I'd be ticked if I found out that he had an answer for me that I needed and he sat on it? Would you be mad at me if, if you said, you know, if Layla said, hey, man, you know what? I need 20 bucks. I haven't eaten in three weeks. I need $20 for school lunch. I was like, that's a tough situation. I'm going to pray for you. And I take my $20. I'll go get me a Mountain Dew. I'll go get me, I'll go get me a sandwich. I'm like, man, the Lord's going to provide, sis. Listen, the, they, listen, the Lord is going to provide. He's coming for you. And I got 20 bucks in my pocket. And I'm like, man, I'm trusting. I'm believing. I've got faith. And then Layla finds out, like, I come back, hey, are you hungry? And I got a Mountain Dew in my hands, and I got a burger in the other hand. I'm like, are you still hungry? She's like, man, I haven't eaten three. Listen, the answer's coming. I promise you, girl, it's coming. And I'm eating in front because I took my $20. How thick do you think she'd be like, oh, that's cool. You could have gave me a sandwich. It's the same principle here when we are withholding our gift, and you could have been the very answer that God gave you. You were the answer to somebody's prayer. You were the answer to a miracle. Mary performed the work on the cross. And so there is no telling what you can do through your giving when somebody else is praying and you could finish the miracle off for them. I would like our musicians to come up. I want to take us back to Luke chapter 16 and verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? We just discovered that worldly wealth and true riches are not the same. What are true riches? Money can't buy peace and health. You go to anybody at Beaumont right now and ask them, like, hey, do you want to come out of the hospital or do you want me to give you $300? What do you think they're going to tell you? Man, get me out of this hospital. Listen, somebody who has an addiction problem, hey, listen, I'll give you $500 or I can make it to where you're never addicted again. I'll take $500. No. They want to be, I, just a couple of years ago, I was the maintenance director at a hospital in Pontiac, and they had a, a program um, where if you were dealing with substance abuse, it wasn't covered under health care. It was a $10,000 program, and I believe the, um, not the medicine, but what they infuse is called ketamine. I know there are people way smarter than me in this room. Zach could probably tell you, but there's something that they'll infuse into you. And what it will do is it will speed up um, the, um, the reaction of you coming off the withdrawal, right? So your withdrawals actually speed up really quick. So for 24 hours, I've watched this. I had access to the hospital. So I would go there to see how it was going with some of the patients. And so for the first 24 hours, those patients would go there. They would do their treatment. And that first 24 hours, they lose. They have no control of their bowels. They obviously are, they have anesthesia, so they're, they're not coherent, they're under. But for 24 hours, they have one-on-ones with these, with these patients where they have a sitter with them. And for 24 hours, they soil themselves, they shake violently, um, and they do run the risk of, of passing away. There is a risk to that. And out of all of the patients, there is one that did pass away in the middle of the treatment. Too much for his body. Once you're done with 24-hour treatment, you then go to the unit where for three to four days, a minimum of 72 hours, that you are there recovering because it's so, it's so heavy, it's so hard on your body that you have to recover through the process. And now, typically, a family member is there with them. And once again, for, for at least 72 hours, they're vomiting, soiling themselves. It's embarrassing. Costs $10,000 cash to do this. Once you leave the program for two years, you take something called Vivitrol. Vivitrol is, uh, it blocks the receptor. So if you were to take any, uh, any substances, anything to try to alter you or to get high, it would block those receptors to where you wouldn't feel it. So then mentally you start to become, okay, you know what? I don't need these drugs. And so the success rate, I think after two years is 60% that you can recover from a strong addiction like this. This is obviously, you're at the end of your rope. This is it. You're dropping 10K and this is an extreme case. And I don't know what Vivitrol costs, but every month when you take that, that's cash out of pocket. 
And there are so many that, that think they've beat the system that they stopped taking it and they're back on it. And I've seen the same patient come back and drop another 10,000 or the family members will because they're afraid for their life. If you were to go in that hospital and said, hey, I'll give you $5,000 cash right now or I can, take, I can take that addiction from you. What do you think they would tell you? Take the addiction out. The blessed life isn't financial. The blessed life is something greater. The blessed life isn't financial life. It is a freedom life. The blessed life will leak into all the other areas of your life and help you build disciplines to where you can be an overcomer because we've controlled the least of these, which sometimes seems to be the hardest thing for us to control, something that's black and white. Now you're trying to negotiate something that's in the gray, life. There are things that's happened to you you've never asked for. You were, given a, a, you were dealt a, a hand of cards that you didn't ask for, that you have to deal with now. That's not black and white. That's frustrating. But if I could navigate what's black and white, what's clean, what's clear, I can then begin to navigate some of those issues of life that aren't clear. There's no concrete answer sometimes. And that takes me to, let's imagine. This is why I believe that God spoke to our lead pastors, Pastor Harold and Renee Hoffman, to build something north of us in this field. See, about a year ago, we'll celebrate that here in just a couple of months, we, we started a capital campaign where ultimately we would like to build debt free. And the amount that was pledged, a sacrificial pledge, was $3,636,231.80. That was what is committed monthly to be It'll total to that, but monthly pledges were given. People bought in. People see the need in the city for us to reach them. But there was a miracle amount. We felt like, God, if, if, you'll, if you'll give me X amount of extra dollars, if you'll bless me in places I didn't expect, this is the amount. That amount coupled with what was legitimately pledged totaled to $5,228,276.80. It'll probably take us seven to eight million dollars to build. I believe if we can get that five million, we can, we can break ground. But let's imagine, is it just because we want a cooler sanctuary? Honestly, we could drop a couple hundred thousand dollars and, and, and retrofit this whole building in here. If we wanted to be lazy spiritually, it would be easier to get new, new chairs, new carpet, different lighting maybe, get a better LED wall. There are things we could do, some chairs, that way we could make it multifunction here. We could seat more, continue going to services every Sunday. But I believe the vision of the house is bigger than just what's here. When you look at the surrounding cities of Sterling Heights, here is the population. Sterling Heights, over 133,000 residents. Troy, over 86,000 residents. Warren, over 138,000 residents. Rochester Hills, over 76,000. Clawson, over 11,000. Frazier, over 14,000. Shelby Township, over 80,000. Clinton Township, over 100,000. In total, this church has the potential to affect our community around is 640,879 residents. Now, could you imagine, if you could stand, could you imagine if you, knowing what you battle every day, knowing the scars that you have from a past, knowing the hurt of what you deal with in the present, could you ever imagine the day where you'd have to walk through life and have no help? Where you would walk through life and never feel peace? Where you would walk through life and feel that you were completely isolated and completely alone? But you could never say that if you're sitting in this room because all it takes is one phone call to anybody in this room and you're getting help. When you are a part of First Church's community, you're gaining a whole family. You're going to be taken care of. Mark and Ann Curtis, again, were here this morning. For two years, they weren't able to come here. She went through treatment for cancer. And now she's able to come out. But I promise you this, for two years, she never felt alone. Somebody was calling. Somebody was praying. People were dropping stuff off at their house. They were with them the whole way through it. And if you're in this room and you are struggling and you're fighting with something, I want you to know, if you give First Church a chance, you're gaining a whole community. You're gaining a whole family that's going to be by your side through thick and through thin, together. So let's imagine if we were disciplined, it's not about the money. Honestly, we could go get a loan and be tight if we wanted to. If it was that great of a value to just build, that could be a possibility. But I want you to know now, 
I think it was right now, we, we helped build a Bible school. Um, oh, where, where is it? Bangladesh. And so I, I watched as they posted pictures in Bangladesh that they're almost completing it. And there are going to be hundreds of students that can now go to school in Bangladesh. And that cost us $75,000. We wrote a check. $75,000. But there will be hundreds of students that can now go to school because of you. Imagine if we had a mortgage. There would be no children going to school. We'd have to keep that $75,000 to pay the new mortgage. Imagine some of you in this room, if we're being raw, and First Church has ever been by you to help you with your mortgage or a vehicle or your vehicle broke down or you need help with your groceries. Imagine if you came and said, hey, I need some help. And I said, sorry, our mortgage payment is due. We can't help you now. How would that feel? Hopeless. So if we can steward the finances, it's not for us to build a bigger building. There are over 640,000 residents that live around Sterling Heights that need what we can give them. And that's hope. That's Jesus. That's a family. So they don't feel alone. So they don't feel isolated. But imagine, I, I think it was uh, several months ago, I was in a conversation with somebody and they were frustrated. I know Roe v. Wade was turned and I'm not going to get into the whole abortion thing. But they were frustrated that at the local level, abortion uh, was overturned and that it is legal. And, and, and there were so many people that were angry. Rightfully so. But here's my answer to that. Do you want to know how you stop abortion? Get them in the room. I can't change the law. I can't be everybody out there. But if I can get somebody who's hurting to come into this house, that's one less abortion. If I can reach somebody that's been battered and abused at home by a spouse, I might not be able to be the police and get there. But you know, if I can get that family in these, in these walls, in these, in these pews, that's one less person getting abused. If there's one person struggling with an addiction and we can get them in this house and connected to God, that's one less person buying drugs on the street. You can legalize all the drugs you want to, but if the church would ever just arise and the church would ever see the power it has, we can tailor and we can drop the crime rate, we can drop the abortion rate, we can drop the, the abuse rate, we can drop all of that. So it's not about the money, it's about the discipline for us to build something greater. And I wanted us to actually return our tithes and offerings now because this is what I wanted our mindset to be. I wanted you to realize that as you return your tithes and offerings, and if you're a guest, I'm not, I'm not asking anything from you. But if you feel a partner with us, then you go ahead and pray about that. But what I want us to think about as they begin to sing here in just a moment is if we could just build something greater, imagine the lives that would be affected. Imagine the marriages that could be restored. Imagine those that are fighting addictions and would have a community where they can heal from. Imagine if we had FC Heart Centers in different communities around here that would have a place for those that had trauma to go in and heal. I know just a few weeks ago, we'll do a better job of posting pictures maybe next week or within the next couple of weeks. But I was talking to T and some of the team and at Grace Centers of Hope, we partnered with them and, and, and Talisha's team, they went there and, and did a spa day for all these women. Haven't had been there for over a year with hardly any community or connection and yet our church ladies our team went in there and was able to give a spa day to these women and they didn't know how to handle themselves because for once in their for once in the last year somebody cared enough to go over there and take care of them imagine if there was a place for healing like that all over these communities it's not about the money it's about the resource we could use to help other people and bring them into the kingdom and change somebody's life so I want us to pray right now that this blessed life was never just financial. It's a life of freedom. That it helps you govern your money, your relationships, the gifting God gave you. And ultimately, it'll affect somebody that has no hope. It'll affect somebody that they don't have anything to offer. And I want to be able to have something to say, hey, you know what? If you haven't eaten, I'll get you a meal. If you need some clothes, I'll help get you some clothes. I'm not depending on anybody else's money. I steward what I have. I purchased a home I purchased because it can hold life groups in it. I make sure the decisions I make are kingdom decisions. I don't want to be so selfish and get the vehicle I want and put it to where I can't help anybody else, but that I am available. And so we're going to pray and they're going to begin to sing. And as you feel led, I want you to come up and I want you to start to, if you're returning your tithes and offerings today, do it here in person. If you've already done it online, just come and worship and begin to sing because here is, here is the truth. What's going to happen with Pastor John and back in a moment, this is a life that's called the blessed life. You can't, she couldn't pay or he couldn't pay whoever's going to get baptized. She could not pay their way out of sin financially. 
couldn't feel restored to the kingdom of God financially. You can't buy your way out of hell. You can't buy your way out of depression. You can't buy your way out of anxiety. But what you can do is create a place where somebody can come in and say, you know what? I want this blessed life. I, I might not be able to afford to do it, but you know what? How do I get this blessed life? And that's by disciplining ourselves. And now this is the fruit of a place that is disciplined saying, God, this person will ultimately live a blessed life because why? Her sins are going to be forgiven. Her life will be changed. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one, when one person repents. And so could you imagine thousands and thousands of angels rejoicing right now as, as you see this precious girl go in the name of Jesus under that water and her life will be changed. And so as Pastor John baptizes and this team begins to sing, I want you to come up and return your tithes and offering. But I want you to keep in mind, the goal of what we're doing with Let's Imagine is to see more souls get in that tank. It's to see more people be healed. It's to see a revival in Sterling Heights.